We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, and I would like us to look at the passage, verses 18 to 24. We could read verse 18 again. Luke 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So here we have a man coming to Jesus, asking a question. Basically, he's asking, how can I get to heaven? That's a very important question, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever seriously asked that question. How can I get to heaven? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him what to do. But sadly, this man doesn't do it. He goes away. He goes away, and we fear he goes away to hell. He thought that Jesus was asking too much, just too much. What about you? Are you saved? Do you think God's asking too much of you? Is there something you wouldn't give up for Christ? Well, first of all, then, today we have here a very important question. What shall I do? Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this man was not an ignorant man. We're told that he was a ruler, a ruler of the Jews. He would be one of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. So he, he was obviously a very respected man. Here's somebody who would be trained in the synagogue, who would have sat at the feet of the rabbis, who, who would have been taught the scriptures, such scriptures as they, as they had at the time, the Old Testament scriptures. He was uh, an educated man. And he was a highly respected man. That's why he got such a position as being one of the rulers. A good living man. Somebody who was upright. Somebody who was honest. Somebody who can say, I haven't committed adultery. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal. I didn't bear false witness. I respected my parents. <coughs> so he could say these things. And there was nobody there going to contradict him. Outwardly, he was a good living, a very good living man. 
He knew the scriptures and no doubt he was a man who said his prayers. We have such a man earlier on spoken about in this chapter. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and said, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or as this publican here. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. That could have been the ruler, couldn't it? Not extortioners, not unjust, not adulterers, not like the open sinners, publicans, fasting twice a week, two days a week, fasting, giving tithes, not just of what he earned, but tithes of all that he possessed. A good living man. He comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus because although he's good living. There's something troubling him. His conscience is still bothering him. You would think when he was such a good living person that. Well his conscience wouldn't bother him. But it did. He knew inside himself that although he was a good person yet there seemed to be a bit more required. He wondered was he good enough? Possibly if he did something more. Maybe if he gave some big gift to the poor. Maybe if he was involved in some self-sacrificial act. There must be something more he could do just to, to make sure that he would get to heaven. There was a doubt in there. His conscience was bothering him. I wonder, do you think you're going to heaven? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Do you think there's anything missing? Do you sometimes wonder, well, maybe, maybe I'm not quite ready. There's something more to be done. It's good to see this man asking this question, a very important question. There are so many people in our society today and it doesn't cross their mind to ask a question like this. They don't think about it. Many don't believe that there's an afterlife. Or they think that if there is an afterlife, well, I'm sure I'm just one of the crowd. It'll be okay. And I haven't done anything terribly bad to anybody. And I'm sure it'll be okay. And God's a God of love, isn't he? Surely a God of love couldn't send anybody to be tormented forever in hell well are you interested in getting to heaven 
a very important question. But then, secondly, we notice here a wrong idea of what it is to be good. Jesus said unto him, verse 19, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. You see, he had too low a view of good. And he thought that there were lots of good people around. And he thought of himself as a good person too. Maybe you're a bit like that. There's good and bad in the world. There's lots of good people in the world, isn't there? Just the other day we were talking to a woman. And um, we asked her, do you think he'll go to heaven? She said, well, I'm a good person. And uh, don't break the commandments. And I've always been brought up that way. And I don't tell lies. Well, maybe, maybe an occasional white lie, but nothing more than that. And never committed adultery. Don't steal. I didn't do anything like that. So I'm sure it'll be okay. She thought of herself as good. And Jesus says, actually... There's nobody good but God. So why do you say good master to me? There's nobody good but God. And God's standards are absolute, not relative. Absolute goodness. That's what God requires because God is good. And if we're going to spend our eternity with God, we must be good too. And good in that absolute sense. Perfectly good. So here's this man, and he's got a wrong idea of what it is to be good. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. None. There's none that doeth good. Not one. <clears throat> Ever since the fall of Adam, every man in this world, every woman in this world, every child in this world is a sinner. We're all sinners. And sin is a crime against God's law. So we're all criminals. And there's none good. But surely Jesus was good. Why callest thou me good? Yes, Jesus was good. Because Jesus was God. But this man didn't recognize Jesus as God. Jesus is God and Jesus is good. So what Jesus is saying here is, he wants you, he wants this man to think about the difference between good and bad and who is good. Who is really good? God's standard is absolute. So Jesus says to him then, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. And then next we notice that Jesus says to him, If you want to get to heaven, keep the commandments. Verse 20, Thou knowest the commandments, 
do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. So here's the standard that God sets for us. The commandments, the law of God. And one day, you and I are going to be judged by the law of God. Whether we do good or whether we do, do evil. That's going to be the standard. And the books will be opened. And we will be judged, everyone according to our works, whether they be good or bad. And if we are perfectly good, keeping God's law perfectly, we'll get to heaven. But if we're not perfectly good, we will be condemned. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father. So there we have it. The Ten Commandments. Jesus is referring to them. Who gets to heaven? If you were to go out to the streets of Inverness and ask, who goes to heaven? What would people say? Good people go to heaven. Well, Bad people go to hell. But who's good? That's a problem, isn't it? Who's good? There's none good. No, not one. Do you keep the commandments? Do you always keep the commandments? Have you kept the commandments ever since you were born? Every single one. So we notice here next the response of this ruler. Verse 21. All these have I kept from my youth up. Well, that's a tremendous assertion that this man makes. I've kept all these commandments since I was a child. I am good. How many say that? There's lots worse than me. I try my best. I never slept with anyone but with my wife, with my husband. Never committed adultery. But then, wait a minute. What did Jesus say about adultery in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. You look upon a man to lust after him. You've committed adultery. So it's not just the outward act that's a sin. It's the heart. It's the thoughts. And who amongst us can say they have never in all their life, since they were born into this world, never lusted. Have you committed adultery? Yes, you have. Don't deny it. Thou shalt not kill. 
This man had never murdered anyone. And yet, remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. If you lose your temper, if you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. Thou shalt not kill. Have you killed anybody? Have you murdered anybody in your heart? In your thoughts? Is there anybody in here who's not a murderer? Are we not all guilty before God? God demands a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Cursed are the impure in heart, for they shall go to hell. Thou shalt not steal. Did you ever steal? Did you ever steal a sweetie as a child? Did you ever take something that you were told not to take? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Well, the ruler could say, I never was in court and told a lie in court. But what about in your day-to-day -day life? Did you ever tell a lie? A white lie? A little untruth in order to save you a bit of embarrassment? Did you ever deceive? Did you ever lead somebody astray or... <coughs> Lead them to think something different about you, of what you had done? Did you ever, in that sense, deceive or be guilty of hypocrisy and pretense? Are we not all liars? Every one of us. And then, honour thy father and thy mother. Were you never rebellious? Did you never feel anger and rebellion in your heart? Did you ever think a bad thought about your father or your mother? Disrespectful thought? Have you always, all your life, really honoured and respected your parents? Who then is good? When we try to point out to this woman we were talking to last week about the fact that yes, surely we're all sinners. We all do things wrong. Oh yes, she said, that's true. There's nobody perfect. There is nobody perfect. But God says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. So God demands perfection. Nothing less. And he condemns 
all imperfection. Sins not just of deed, but sins of speech and sins of thought condemn us. So here's this man. All these have I kept from my youth up, he says. Well, then we notice what Jesus says next. Jesus says to him, sell and give to the poor. Sell all you have and give to the poor. When Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Well, that was quite a hard thing to say. Wouldn't be a hard thing if you had nothing. If you're really poor, it wouldn't matter. But if you're wealthy, if you own a house and uh, nice things in your house and you've got a car and you've got some savings in the bank and you possess quite a bit, sell it all. Would you sell everything you have and give to the poor if Jesus told you to? Give it to the beggars. Quite a challenge, isn't it? Sell everything, give it away, come and follow me. That would really take something, wouldn't it? And yet, the true Christian would. Because the true Christian trusts Christ alone. And if Jesus said to you, sell all that you have, give it away, come and follow me and you'll get to heaven, you would trust in him. You'd give up everything and follow him. But here's this man, and when he heard this, he's absolutely shocked. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking him to the first commandment. You say you've kept all the commandments. Well, let's think about commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There you are, a rich man. Your riches are your God. Your riches mean more to you than God. And your riches mean more to you than eternal life. I'll prove it to you. Sell all that you have, give it away, and you'll have eternal life. And he went away sorrowful because he valued his wealth more than he valued salvation and Christ. So he didn't really, didn't even keep the first commandment, not alone all the rest. He was wealthy and Wealth can be a very difficult thing. How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of heaven? There are some very wealthy people who are Christians, but there are very few, very few, because wealth has a great grip upon people's hearts. And wealth brings along with it covetousness 
The banker Rockefeller was asked, how much money do you need to make you happy? Remember what he said? A little bit more. The wealthy man's always looking for a little bit more. Never content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But here's this man, and he's not prepared to give up his idol. There's one thing that means more to him than anything else. It's his wealth. Is there something in your life that means more to you than God? Is there anything that you wouldn't give up to be saved? What's keeping you from becoming a full Christian? That's your God. And so finally, this man went away sad. When he'd heard this, verse 23, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus was asking too much. Give up everything. That's a bit much. Christ is demanding too much. If Jesus had said to him, give away a hundred thousand pounds to the poor, he would have done it. If Jesus said, give away a million pounds to the poor, he would have done it. But when Jesus said, give away everything to the poor, it was a step too far. His wealth meant too much to him. There are many people and they would pre be prepared to reform a little bit here and change a bit there. But a little reformation won't do. You must be born again. You must be transformed. And what God says to us in the Bible, what Jesus says is, Son, daughter, give me thine heart. And if you give your heart to Christ, you've given everything. That's what he requires. Not a bit of your life. Not to be allowed part of your time. But everything. Give me your heart. Have you given your heart to Christ? Have you said, Lord, take my heart? It's not an easy thing. You need great grace to do that. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. It's only with God's help that you can give your heart to Christ. But that's what's required. You must be born again. You must give your heart to him. He must become the center. He must take over. He must be given control. And if you're going to face Christ on the judgment day, you need to be perfect. And none of us are perfect. So how can we manage on the judgment day? Well, that's the gospel, isn't it? You take the perfection of Christ and you take it as your own. 
He kept the commandments perfectly. And when you have Jesus as your saviour, you say to God, God, you can't condemn me because I'm perfect. I'm perfect because Jesus is my righteousness. I'm perfect because he's perfect. And he gave himself to me. And he is mine and I am his. And that's why Paul said the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. How? Well, the law says you shall not. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lust. You shall not commit murder. You shall not hate or be angry with somebody. You shall not steal or lie or covet. And when you try to do that, you find you can't. And therefore you need someone else is righteousness you need the perfect righteousness of christ and jesus christ came into the world to save sinners and when you put your trust in him you're saved so that being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ justified where any pardon of all our sins and accepteth us as righteous for us, for only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. We receive Christ's righteousness, and then we're perfect. That's the glory of the gospel. The moment you believe in Christ, you're perfectly justified. All your sins are forgiven, and you have his righteousness and you'll never be more justified in this life or the next. The moment you believe in Jesus as your Savior, his righteousness is yours. And you are perfect in the sight of God so that he beholds no iniquity in Jacob nor perverseness in Israel. Is Jesus your righteousness today? Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank thee that we have a wonderful gospel. And we pray that thou wouldst help us to understand it, to see the importance of it, and to rejoice that there's a way of escape from the wrath to come, there's a beautiful saviour who says, come to me, take my beauty as your own, give me your ugliness. We thank thee, Lord, that Jesus took all our filth away and suffered for it. And in him we have perfect righteousness. So help us to appreciate our need of salvation, to appreciate Jesus Christ as our saviour, and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 130, Psalm 130, Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear, unto my supplications voice, give an attentive ear, 
Lord, who shall stand if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, but yet with thee forgiveness is, that feared thou mayest be. Psalm 130, to God's praise. <coughs> at the usual time, 6.30 and then there would be a fellowship after the evening service in the manse to which you're all invited. The service is next Sabbath at the usual times, 11am and 6.30pm and the prayer meeting on Thursday evening at the usual time, 7.30 all God willing. 
The balance of the order of the June edition of the Witness magazine is now on the table, ready for collection by those who didn't get one during the first batch. And there's also a note here about Mr. McGlynn, the interim moderator. Uh, he has tested positive for COVID in the past few days. So remember Mr. McGlynn and his family. <coughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.